You didn't expect me this morning, did you? I didn't either. My wife and I were playing Scrabble yesterday evening. <laughs> and I got a call around, what, 9 o'clock from Harry, and I didn't pick it up because my, my caller ID said possible spam. Until he started giving, leaving the message, then I picked up quickly before he stops. <laughs> but always good to be here. Kid in a candy store, right? <laughs> well, don't expect uh, John, um, Psalm 23 this morning. That's my series that we are going through because I'm not was not prepared for that. So I dug up a message, a passage from a commentary that uh, I just wrote uh, on the Gospel of John. Uh, most of you know that our ministry is writing Bible commentaries in my language, Gujarati. And uh, since 1992, we have been doing that. We have produced some 20 books of the Bible, like Isaiah, Twelve Minor Prophets, Romans, Revelation, and things like that. And so I just looked up the passage uh, in, in my Gujarati commentary, John chapter 8. Please open that, John chapter 8. Hard time for me is to transfer what is in Gujarati. My English is hard enough for you. My Gujarati would be impossible. I am bilingual in Gujarati and Hindi, but not in English. <laughs> And so that gives you a hard time to some of you, I know. <laughs> My apologies for that. Uh, but John 8, chapter one, uh, verses 1 to 11, uh, one of the familiar, familiar, very familiar passage. Uh, and we are very familiar with that. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we go to the Bible with familiarity. And because of that familiarity, we sometimes miss the deeper truths that are revealed in there. And so until we go into it and really study it carefully and forget everything that we know, <laughs> then we will know more and, and better. Uh, this passage, John one, uh, John eight one to eleven, actually it begins with the last verse of previous chapter, John uh, seven seven fifty three. Uh, it's a uh, it's very familiar to the other incident recorded in Luke's Gospel chapter eighteen. Remember a tax collector and a Pharisee go to a, a temple. Uh, and the tax collector does not even dare to look up to heaven. And Pharisee compares himself uh, with the tax collector and, and kind of pats himself on the back and all the good things that he has done. This is somewhat similar. Somewhat similar in the sense of one side we have a woman that is caught in adultery. And on the other side, there is a group of people, the Pharisees, who are the epitome of considered 
epitome of righteousness. And the, the theme of the whole Gospel of John actually is the contrast between the righteousness that we think that we have and the righteousness that God thinks we need. And the Pharisees think that they are righteous and everybody else is not like them. And especially when they find somebody like this, a woman caught into real act of adultery, that is a real joy for them. <laughs> a pat on the back and pride. And they bring her to Jesus. On the one side we have someone who, who, are like, who is like us, a scum of the society. And on the other side, we have Pharisees. In both incident, like in the Luke's incident and in this incident, the author, the Gospel of John, the writer, wants to bring out the, the contrast between the two. Uh, and the point is, what is the basis of salvation? How do we receive salvation? Even the worst of a sinner can be forgiven and the best of the righteous can go unforgiven. That's the point of the whole story. Even the worst of the sinner can be forgiven and the best of the righteous can go unforgiven. And that's the point here. So if you are reading this, uh, have open date, we will just go through that. The Pharisees were the most opponent group of Jesus. And John brings that out very clearly throughout the Gospel. And if you read chapter 6 and 7, the previous chapters before that, a group of people, Jesus is going out teaching to the group, to the wide audience, and lots and lots of people follow him, and among them are also Pharisees, that Pharisees here, and they try to seize him. If you read the previous previous chapter, previous chapter, chapter 7, he says they, they try to seize him, and they try to grab him, they try to find fault with him, and this is the incident where they are doing just that. They bring this woman not to find justice for the woman, but this is a trick incident. And they have done several times before. Remember the coin? Where do you give the how, whether should we give taxes to the uh, government or not. Remember the incident where there were seven brothers, one died after the others, and, and what would happen? Did you notice that incident, in that incident, who questions that, who brings the point? Sadducees, who did not believe in resurrection, and say whose wife would she be? And so that's where the, the whole point of the incident is. The incident begins at 7.53. If you are looking into your scripture, it says seven, chapter 7.53. It says 7.30, they went, they all went to their own home. Seven, the last verse of 7, 
chapter 7. There is a big B-U-T of the first verse of chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Have you ever noticed that contrast? They all went to their own homes. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Luke 37, 38, uh, Luke 7, 30, 37, 38 points out. Who, who are they? Chapter 8, the previous, chapter 7, the previous group. There are people, there are Pharisees, they are following Jesus. At the end of the chapter, they all go to their own homes. But Jesus does not have a home. He goes to the Mount of Olives. And Luke writes, uh, he says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So this, is, this was the routine for Jesus. During the day he would teach at the temple or in, in the vicinity. And in the evening he does not go to home. He does not have a home. He went to the Mount of Olives. And in the morning he would come back and teach. Jesus was homeless. Jesus was homeless. The best human being that ever lived on the face of the earth was homeless. He says that the foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. But the point is, they all went to their own home and left Jesus alone. Right there, there is another point of whole sermon. They went to their homes and left Jesus alone. Think about that. Sunday morning you go to church. You listen the message and you expect to meet the Lord. And you leave home, leave for home, and leave Jesus there. That's the kind of situation here. Everybody, after the church, what we do? Everybody goes home <laughs> and leave Jesus there. Until next Sunday, we'll come and meet Jesus again. Jesus stays in the temple, like Luke chapter 2. Jesus stays in the temple alone. Jesus stays in the Mount of Olives alone. Probably the disciples were there, but the gospel does not mention that. Just to make the point that Jesus went there alone. And every night he went there because he did not have a place of his own to go to. Okay, so he comes in the morning and starts teaching, and his teaching begins at verse 12. But before that, this incident happens in verses 1 to 11. If you, 
in your Bible, most of the Bible, these would be in the square brackets. Because most of the early manuscripts do not have this passage included. And so most of the versions give that, but with that note that this is not in the early manuscripts. And so here is a very important passage, but still not found in the early manuscript. And, and because it's such an important, and it fits in the context, in the context of the opposition of the Pharisees, in the context of the point that Jesus, that the gospel writer John wants to make. And that is why this message in, passage is included in most of the versions. And it's important because it brings out a couple of most basic theological principles in the Bible. So the passage, the, the teaching begins at verse 12, but the passage before that this happens uh, in uh, verses 1 to 11. He says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. He sat down to teach. Imagine the privilege of listening Jesus teach. Have you ever thought of that? Imagine the privilege of Jesus listening Jesus teach. He sat down and taught them. And yet, most of the crowd that came did not follow him. What happens after the message is done? In the evening, he goes to the Mount of Olives by herself. What happens? The Pharisees bring the woman and they try to seize him. Uh, they, uh, the, the, uh, brings, uh, brings the woman, the, the teachers, verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? And John makes a comment. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They address him very respectfully, teacher, like we would say guru or rabbi, very respect respectfully. And they bring this woman caught in the very act of adultery. Imagine the uproar this must have created. Jesus is sitting, the Pharisee, the rabbis taught sitting, not like standing here. And Jesus is teaching, people are surrounded, he is surrounded by people and they are listening. And there must be, when Jesus taught, there were, he taught not like anybody else, not like the rabbis. There must be pin drop silence. And a group of people come. And this woman is caught. They bring her. 
Think about that uproar that must have created. Think about Sunday morning. Pastor Chuck is preaching and a group of people drag somebody in in the sanctuary. What kind of uproar would create? When you read these scriptures, put yourself into that and think about that incident and, and imagine, not wild imagination, but imagine uh, sanctified imagination, we call it. Imagine on the basis of the, the details that are there and read between the lines. The uproar this must have created when they brought, the woman may have been screaming, they may have, the woman may, may have been scantily clad and, and, and scared and, they, and these Pharisees have grabbed her and pulling her and dragging her and put right there in front of Jesus. Here she is. We caught her in the very act of adultery. You know the law, the law of Moses. When something happens like this, she has to be stoned to death. What do you say? The question is without, out of point. If the law decides, if the law says that she should be stoned, go ahead and do that. Why do you bring her to me? Follow the law. Follow the law. What do you say? Law of Moses. But as we said earlier, this is not the point. They are not bringing her for justice. They are bringing her for finding fault with Jesus, just like the other incidents that we mentioned earlier. Jesus is, they are trying to trick Jesus again and again and again. Satan tried to trick Jesus in the temptation. Pharisees tried to trick Jesus several times, occasionally, repeatedly. But Jesus knows their heart. Jesus knows my heart. Jesus knows your heart. What's the intention? What's why they are doing? Why ask? If the law says that, why do you bring her to me? What do you say? They are eagerly waiting for the answer. Jesus keeps quiet. They are standing there. There must be a pin drop silence. Jesus is sitting. They are all standing around. Jesus keeps quiet. Then, but Jesus, they are eagerly waiting for the answer, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. This is the only place, only time that Jesus ever wrote anything. We have the word of Jesus, words of Jesus written in four Gospels. Uh, later recorded uh, his speeches, his miracles and everything. But Jesus did not write anything except here. And it was written in the dust on the ground. What did he write? 
What did he write? We don't know. We don't know. Some commentators think that, well, he must have written Jeremiah 17, 13. It says that those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. Maybe he was writing sins of the people who brought this woman to him. Look here. And people are reading that. No commentators say this, but I, I think he may have been writing one, two, three of the Ten Commandments. Telling them, look, you brought this woman to me, but you have broken this one commandment. You have broken this second commandment. You have broken the third commandment. He's pointing it out. And we will see later they have, it has sunk into their heart. He's pointing it out. Also, he may be writing these, these Ten Commandments on the dirt. Remember the Ten Commandments were written on the stone, carved in the stone, permanent law of God, written in the hearts of every human being, whether they have word of God or not, as Paul says in Romans 1. But here those Ten Commandments are being written in the dirt, which would soon be trampled under their feet. And Jesus is telling them, that's what you have done. You have trampled the law of God under your feet, and you are bringing this woman to me for judgment. We don't know what he wrote, but the Pharisees are reading that. What do you say? They are eagerly waiting for answer. But Jesus bent down and wrote. When they kept on questioning him, verse 7, he straightened up and said to them, and you know what he said to them, right? Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote the, on the ground. How long? Jesus must have kept writing. We don't know. But they kept asking. They kept asking. Finally, Jesus tells them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Jesus gives the judgment according to the law. You brought this woman to, according to the law of Moses to be stoned. You are right. She should be stoned. She should be stoned. But if you want to follow the law, let us follow the law. What does the law say? What does the law say? Deuteronomy 13.9 says that the witnesses who brings charges against an adulterer should first throw the stone 
at the guilty person. Witness is meaning those who have not been part of that sin. Those who have not been committed sin something like that. Someone who is innocent of any sin, he should first throw the rock. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let us follow the law. <laughs> now it is time for Jesus to wait. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He continued to do that. He continued to show where they stood. He continued to point that out. Let it sink into their heart. And you know what? Something happened. They began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. You know what happened? Why did they go away? Why did they walk away? They realized their sin. Even the Pharisees, when they looked inside their heart, they found out that they were sinful people. This is the only place in the whole Gospel, in the whole New Testament, where Pharisees are presented in a positive way. They realized their sinfulness. Even... Can you imagine even the Pharisees realized their sinfulness? When they looked, when someone looks into his own heart, this is what they will find. Even the Pharisees realize their sinfulness. But what happened? They realized their sinfulness, but walked away. Walked away. They were standing right in front of the Savior. They realized their sinfulness. But instead of confessing that and asking forgiveness, they walked away, leaving only the woman with Jesus. They came to Jesus, but not for forgiveness, not for confessing their sin, but to blame somebody else. To blame the thing that prevents a person coming to Jesus or receiving forgiveness is his own goodness. So even when you realize your own sin, you still depend on your goodness and walk away from the Savior unforgiven. They went away. They came to Jesus, but not to confess their sin, but to judge others. 
केम टू जीसस टू ट्रैप हिम बट दे वेर देम सेल्स ट्रैप्ड थिंक अबाउट देयर एम्बेरसमेंट थिंक अबाउट देयर एम्बेरसमेंट वेन दे वॉक्ट अवे दे मस्ट हैव अ कंटेम्प्यूअस लुक एट जीसस A month or so ago, I was uh, I I I had lunch. I met a friend over lunch uh, once a month, and I was I reached their place, and he was not there yet. So I was just sitting in my car, listening to the radio, and a man came and tapped on the driver's side window. So I lowered the window. He said, "Give me some money for food." so i just shut the window up and he walked away from driver side he walked in front of the car looking at me and i will never forget his contemptuous look and that's how these people must have walked away from jesus with a contemptuous look on their on their face they walked away with a contempt expecting come to jesus to trap but they were trapped and walked away unforgiven only jesus with the woman only jesus with the woman a best place for a sinner to be only you and the savior stand side by side a best place for a sinner imagine the emotional condition of the woman have you just enter into her life enter into her condition when she was caught she was in the dread when she is standing before the savior she is grieving not for the stones but for her sin she is expecting she must be standing there eyes closed face down waiting any moment a stone a rain of stone would start these people must have walked away so quietly so quietly so she did not even see them walking away when she opens her eyes she sees only jesus only jesus she knew the pharisees were right she knew that pharisees were right she knew that she was caught in the very act of adultery she knew even the common people like mary the young mary and virgin mary know, knew the old testament well she knew the law she expected the right punishment just punishment she knew she deserved when she opens her eyes only jesus 
And Jesus asked, Woman, where are they? Woman, where are they? All gone. Has no one condemned you? Oh, no one, Lord. Can you say that? Can you imagine? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. They came with stones. The one without sin can throw the stone. But no one was qualified. No one was qualified. No, there was one who was qualified. There was one who was qualified to throw stone. But he is the one who says, No, neither do I condemn you. And the only one who was qualified did not condemn her. And if Jesus, if God justifies who is there to condemn, if God justifies who is there to condemn. Now the question is, have you ever thought of that? Just like that? Can Jesus do that just like that? A woman caught into adultery, does he not consider the sin of adultery a serious sin? He just said, okay, I forgive you. Just like that? Several things. Jesus has, can forgive just like that. God can forgive just like that. He has the right to forgive. Remember the problem Pharisees had because Jesus said, I can forgive sin. Who can but God forgive sin? They picked up rocks because he claimed to be God. He is God. He can forgive sin. He has earned the, but more than that, he has earned the right to say that I neither condemn you on the cross. He has earned the right on the cross to be able to say, I do not condemn you, cost Jesus the hell of the cross. To be able to say, I do not condemn you, Jesus had to pay the price. You are not redeemed, Peter says, by the perishable things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. He had earned the life, not just because he was God, but because he was man who offered himself on the cross for my and for your forgiveness, for our forgiveness. Jesus has, to, has the right to forgive because he paid the price. And forgiveness is not, however, the forgiveness is not automatic. Jesus paid for the whole world, the sin of the whole world. God loves the whole world so that he gave the Son. But not everybody is automatically upset, accepted in that. 
those who believe will receive eternal life. And the other side of the same coin is those who do not, will not. He can forgive just like that, but it's not automatic. Automatic Forgiveness is... The woman has, has gone through the process. The woman has gone through the process because when she is brought with, uh, in front of Jesus, she is thinking in herself the, about the sin that she has committed. She is standing in front of the Savior. She is waiting for the stones to fall. And, and throughout this process, he, she is confessing, repenting, grieving. And Jesus, who knows her heart, can say, looking at her heart, neither do I forgive you. But he says, from now on, do not leave. From now on, sin no more. Not only he is forgiving her, but also not only he, he is not uh, approving her sin, but also he is accepting her sinful lifestyle. He says, so far, all your life you have lived like that, but not anymore. Not anymore. Point to her past and direct her future. This was your past, but... This should be your, your future. We can imagine the rest of her life. Can you imagine the rest of her life? Ever she going back to that sinful condition, sinful lifestyle, realizing the seriousness of sin and forgiveness? How can you go back to sin? The Pharisees, the epitome of righteousness, go away condemned. And a sinful woman is declared righteousness. God forgives sin, no matter how serious it is. If we look inside, we will realize how fail, sinful we are. Neither do I condemn you. What does, how, what, how, how deep and serious those words are. Neither do I condemn you. One of the commentators, Bruce Milne, writes, think about the seriousness of those words. Here is the miracle of the grace of God. There is no greater wonder than this that you hear, neither do I condemn you. The turning of water into wine the healing of a, die, a dying lad by a word, the feeding of 5,000 and more with a snack lunch, the walking on a storm-tossed sea, none of these, nor all of them together, compares with this that Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. In this sentence and in the heart of mercy that lay behind it is all our hope and all our salvation forever. How serious, deep, graceful, merciful, 
those words are and what a blessing i think there is no greater blessing to then to hear those words or to realize those words when we accept jesus christ as our savior there is no sin greater let me note three things there is no sin so great that god cannot forgive no guilt in life no fear of death there is no greater sin that there is no sin so great that god cannot forgive no matter what past we have once these words are pronounced it's all clean there is no great sin no matter what kind of sin the only thing that needs is to come to jesus and stand before him and accept his forgiveness there is no great sin that god cannot forgive the other side is also true there is no small sin that does not need forgiveness there is no small sin that does not need forgiveness there is a pharisee in all of us have you ever thought of that there is pharisee in every one of us we divide people between they and us and us are better than they us are, that that siloam uh, thing fell and several people died were they more sinful so they died unless you repent you would be also perish you also would perish there is no small sin that does not need forgiveness unless you repent jesus said you will not see me before we look around let us look within because if we see within you see we we compare sin sin for us is relative i am not adulterer i have not committed adultery i have not committed murder i have not committed robbery i do not steal i do not cheat i am a honest person i am not like them they and us but there is filth filled in all our hearts there is resentment there is bitterness there is unforgiving spirit there is there is there is all kind of things as jesus said that things come out from the heart are the dirty things there is no human being that claim sinlessness god does not even expect us to be sinless because we cannot be sinless as long as we are on this side of the earth heaven god expects us to be blameless like job he was blameless and upright fearing god and turning away from evil but not sinless there is no small sin that does not need forgiveness 
And the third thing is, there is no greater incentive to live life pleasing to the Lord than thankfulness, heart that is filled with thankfulness. Sin no more. Jesus told the woman, can you imagine the woman going back to her sinful lifestyle? Can you imagine woman going back to her sinful lifestyle? She would not want to disappoint her Savior. She would not want to disappoint her Savior. Thankfulness is what makes us to serve the Lord. Thankfulness is what helps us to please the Lord. Thankfulness is what keeps us to walk on the path that is pleasing to the Lord. In Isaiah 38, and I may have shared this several times before, there is a beautiful prayer by King Hezekiah. Hezekiah gets sick, and then he is miraculously healed. And he says, what shall I say because of these great things happen to me? You have done these great things. And it says that I would walk slowly all my life. He, he raises a question, what can I give back to you? And he answers the question himself, I will walk slowly rest of my life. What does he mean? I, walk, I will walk so carefully. I will walk so carefully so I do not stain myself with the filth that is around in the world. There is no greater incentive to life pleasing to God than heart filled with thankfulness, realizing God's grace and forgiveness. Remember that famous hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and How It Ends, where the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, that demands my life, my heart, my soul. And that's what this woman would want to give. That's what I and you would want to give. There is no small sin that does not need forgiveness. We all when we, if we have experienced that salvation, no condemnation gift, then that's what our heart is filled with, thankfulness. Father, thank you that your word points out our need of the Savior and your grace to save. Thank you, Father, that you have brought us into that experience. At one point in our life, we, you, quickened our heart and brought to that point where you made us to realize and we heard that, we experienced that, no condemnation gift. 
part of our life is yours our desire is to please you to live for you to serve you any father there is anyone here that that has not yet experienced that gift this may be the event this may be the moment that you will work in that heart thank you father for jesus his death on the cross that made it all possible and in his name we pray amen Thank you, Emmanuel. Hope everyone has a blessed week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.